The year is 3072. The Bomb Squad is trying to record the Halloween Kills podcast for the one zillionth time. Every time we try to record, a magical leprechaun comes in and turns off my computer. Please send help. Hi, I'm Tanner Richard Kraft. Hi, I'm Austin Zwiebelman. I'm Tim M. God himself is trying to stop this podcast. And what is this podcast about? That's right, it's about... That, that's a Fallout Boy song. It's about Halloween kills, <laughs> not a Fallout Boy song, which would probably be a much more compelling topic to talk about. I don't know what happened there. We're talking about Halloween kills. It's a movie, kills happen. It's a sequel to the last sequel, which was a sequel that decanonized a bunch of stuff because the Halloween franchise is very confusing. The last movie had the same name as the first movie. It's really weird. Anyway. That's the, that's the third one that has that name too. There really? are three. Oh my god! Because the Rob Zombie remake. Oh my god! You're right. There are three different movies that's just called Halloween in this franchise. It's incredible. Rank the Halloween movies that are just called Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> that's its own fucking letterbox list. Anyway, uh, let's just get right into it. Uh, usually, I will ask you guys just your thoughts on the franchise in general, but this time, I do not want you to tell me your thoughts on the original Halloween movie if you have seen it. Uh, I have heard rumors that some members of Bomb Squad have not seen the original Halloween movie, which is uh, actually a fireable offense, and you lose your wages, and you have to back pay them. (laughs) So, uh, don't talk about your thoughts on the original Halloween if you have any, but what I do want to hear is what you thought of the 2018 movie, the the movie preceding this one. What you think of that one, just briefly, and just kind of what expectations you had going into this one. Austin! You know all those uh, articles about how this movie's homophobic, right? I I would hate to be a gay person that gets persecuted by the Halloween franchise. Apropos of nothing, as somebody who's never seen a Halloween movie until yesterday, I have been bombarded with the trailer for Halloween Kills for what feels like years. Uh, I'm trying to have a romantic night and watch classic date movies like F9 and Free Guy. And then, uh, boom, it's the mom from Freaky Friday, except it's Friday the 13th and Freaky, and she's screaming. I I have never engaged with this franchise because I was too busy watching exquisite, prestigious horror movies from 10 years ago, like remakes of J-horror, you know, One Missed Call, 2008, good stuff. Uh, My expectations for Halloween Kills probably formed around the time that the movie came out because there was a lot of viral buzz that this movie contains bloody murders, which I, uh... Dude, no way. I probably should have gauged that from the title, but, you know, they don't call me genius, Weevilman, now do they? That's a lie. I do. You're a genius and I love you. That joke hurts so much after the previous recordings. (laughs) (laughs) It's ironic. (laughs) I watched the remake after I saw Halloween Kills because I absorb knowledge best in reverse due to a medical condition called tinnitus. My doctor told me that I got it from listening to my iPod too loud, but I assume it's like the movie Tenet, where I'm thinking backwards and everyone else is thinking forwards. The 2018 reboot was a good time because it had likable characters that most of the time were able to uh, make sense, even though nobody but the Strode family got too much screen time. The kills in Halloween were mostly different iterations of head trauma and impaling, which I can vibe with. Like, on a scale of one to Peter Jackson's brain dead, levels of creative gore, it's at least good enough to earn its R rating. Nothing super visceral except for Mike Myers taking the sort of Mortal Kombat style mini boss and squishing his noggin beneath a boot. A couple things that make Halloween stand out among the other, like Blumhouse, 
career starting cash cow low budget horror movies is it has long takes good dialogue and jamie lee curtis's performance as a michael myers seeking missile to tie these together i thought the first one was pretty good and like a, as a self-contained package but you see Halloween 2018 is the highest grossing slasher film in unadjusted dollars, having earned $255 million on a $10 million budget, breaking a record previously held by the first Scream movie. And with money like that, it doesn't matter what happened three years ago. There's got to be more now. Uh, I thought going in it was just going to be a kill count video with duct tape and leftover Chinese food, you know, taping together the crimson bits. But we'll be getting into whether or not that's true shortly. Back to you, Tanner. It's funny that Halloween, a reboot slash sequel that shares the same name as the first movie in the franchise, was the one to beat Scream's box office record. Because coming this January is Scream, a reboot sequel that shares the same name as the first movie in the franchise. Why the hell isn't it not called Five Cream? I'm really upset about that. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> quickly, what did you think of the 28th? Austin is fucking dying over there. Holy five shit. Cream. <laughs> That's what it should be called. The S should be a five. Tim, what did you <laughs> what did you think of the 2018 Halloween movie? And also, what kind of expectations did you have going into Kills? I, I went into the 2018 Halloween uh, having pretty freshly watched most of the uh, previous Halloween movies. Like I, I, I had some familiarity with the original and the Rob Zombie ones, but I hadn't really watched any of the other ones until October of 2018 when I was going into the 2018 reboot. I got going into it. Um, I had some relatively fresh perspective on uh, like earlier installments in the franchise. And uh, I, I do think that it was like one of the stronger movies in the franchise overall. Um, it did kind of bug me that like the, the it basically seemed like the mission statement of the movie was to like kind of shit on all, a lot of the other sequels that kind of annoyed me a little bit, like it, especially given like at the very end, their way of killing Michael is to set him on fire. I'm just like, didn't, didn't you do that in two? Just, it just seems like if you haven't, if you haven't seen Halloween two, it probably wouldn't bug you. It'd probably be fine. But if you've seen two and you see like, Oh, the genius plans set him on fire. They, they <laughs> tried that already. So that that was that was weird to me, but I mean overall it was enjoyable and I think one of the stronger Halloween movies overall. And going into this, I was just like, uh, we'll we'll just see how uh, they carry this forward. All right, I'll just get right into my stuff as this is my I believe 69th time saying this. Nice. Nice. Uh my thoughts on uh, uh, the Halloween 2018 movie uh, need a bit of context, which is mostly prior to that movie, there were 10 movies in the Halloween franchise after the first one. So there are nine sequels, reboot, remakes to that first Halloween movie, right? Out of those nine, I would say a grand total of two of them are good. So uh, there has been a strong history of very weak Halloween sequels in general. So going into the 2018 ver version, I was kind of tepid on it, I guess, going in, thinking David Gordon Green, Danny McBride, those guys that made that baseball TV show. What? I, I guess nothing else matters. They had Busta Rhymes in one of these movies. Nothing matters. 
matters, I guess. <laughs> you know, Busta Rhymes, Busta Gordon Green. I don't know. Uh, and then I went into it and I had a blast with it. It became my favorite Halloween movie outside of the first Halloween movie. I had such an amazing, great time with it. The kills were really fun and inventive. The cinematography was like real slick and like something I have not seen in slasher movies before. It felt real art house indie and it really sucks that the new one doesn't have that. Um, what? I didn't say anything. Uh, it's a lot of fun. It injected a lot of humor into the franchise, which I thought was really um, compelling. I thought the jokes mostly worked. Uh, more importantly, the most important thing about that 2018 Halloween movie is about maybe 20, 25, 30 minutes in, there is a long tracking shot with a steady cam of Michael Myers going on a murderous rampage throughout the neighborhood where he kills everything in his sight except a baby. The baby is the only thing he saves. And I saw that movie. I saw that shot in the movie, that long, continuous take. And I went, I do that. I do that. So in my uh, 2019 uh, award-winning short film, <laughs> I hate saying that, uh, Diagnosis, uh, the pivotal scene of the movie is a long take that goes inside, outside, much like the 2018 Halloween long take goes inside, outside, and all that jazz. I was directly inspired by an R-rated, heavy R-rated, gore-filled slasher horror film in my 2019 family movie about a mother having her son diagnosed with autism. You know, cinematic parallels. So yeah, coming off of a super strong Halloween movie from 2018, I was pretty excited for Halloween Kills. I was expecting it to just be more of the same. What do we think of Halloween Kills overall? Alucard, we'll start with you. I, I overall had a good time with it. Um, like, it, there's definitely issues with it, particularly with the pacing and the structure. It's, it's basically a whole second act, but I, I did enjoy uh, watching the movie. I thought that the kills were a lot of fun. I thought that they kind of took things in a direction that I hadn't really seen in Halloween movies before, which I thought was neat. Like, the, the whole, like, mob attack thing I thought was an interesting angle to go with. And like they just kind of show how it's all fueled by passion and it just uh, quickly just drills itself into the ground, um, which, you know, I, I kind of thought that, that was an interesting angle to go with it. And overall, I, I had a good time with it and um, we'll, we'll see what happens on the third one. Uh, Halloween kills in space. <laughs> God, I wish this franchise took a Jason X-esque turn. Listen, Jason X, Freddy Goes to Space, or uh, Jason Goes to Space, my apologies. By all maybe uh, objective metrics, uh, that is not a good movie. But in my heart, that film is a masterpiece. And truly, that is what matters. Anyway, uh, Austin, uh, from what I understand, this movie uh, uh, made you a Republican. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, all my life, I believe that people should have rights. And then eventually I decided everyone except for David Gordon Green should have rights. <laughs> Danny McBride is not innocent. He loses his rights too. Picture this, right? Welcome back to Haddonfield, Illinois, right? Halloween night, 2018, same night as the first film, as indicated by the nurse who can't keep a hold on his stethoscope, the trail of bodies, the masked guy. But much has changed in those 10 in-universe minutes between the first film and now. The entire town was affected by a plague. 
a deadly case of stormtrooper aim. <laughs> As is said in the movie, Haddonfield is a town where nothing interesting ever happens, which is good for the safety of the citizens because none of these people can defend themselves. Highlights of the movie for me were the cool looking flashbacks because I thought they really captured the feel of 40 years ago really decently. The guy they had to play Loomis was just amazing. Like, their slick production is still there, even though the cinematography wasn't like his art house as the other film, which was kind of a bummer like Tanner said. Uh, lastly, watching mobs of people get hyped up enough to do violence made me dream of bigger, better worker strikes in the future. Other than that, uh, this was almost a profoundly unsatisfying movie, as if it was, like, engineered in a lab to not rock at all costs. Like, the gore wasn't enough. Uh, the dialogue was super goofy and esoteric. Uh, the killer had inconsistent superpowers. Like, it's okay that it's all supernatural now, but, like, let us know the stakes so we can follow along and keep things kind of consistent. And the setups didn't really have satisfying payoffs. But now that I've established my general stance, um, I gotta ask, were the gay characters offensive or endearing? Uh, yes. Yes. A bit of both. <laughs> a bit of good, a bit of bad. It was just like, yeah, yeah, I know. It's one of those things where it's like, yeah. Walking out of the movie, that was literally what I was thinking. I was like, was that offensive? I think that might have been offensive. So, great question. But at the same uh. time, it's representation. They're in love. Um, th this may be how gay people behave. Who would know? I don't know any gay people. Do you know any gay people, Austin? Ask your husband. Does he know any gay people? <laughs> I can't tell you how dumb it felt watching Michael Myers kill some of these people. Like, case in point, the firefighter with the circular saw just gently getting, like, push, and then he's just cutting himself in half. Every single person who held a weapon up to their chest and cried like a teenage girl watching Titanic, patiently waiting their turn for Michael Myers to head trauma them to death. Like, that mob of people at the end. You had one job, dude! If I had kind of feeling that the way this was kind of like inconsistent and in different places all the time, that this was supposed to mean something bigger. Did either of you get the vibe that this was about like social issues vaguely? Uh, it's vaguely about community trauma. It's not doing a great job of communicating that so much so that I say that I'm not 100% sold on it. It's just the only thing that would make sense. Apparently the 2018 Halloween movies about like Me Too and shit. I read a review that was like, Wow, this movie came out the same weekend as the Brett uh, Covenfield, whatever the hell that rapist's name was, uh, hearings. And I was just like, uh -huh, I guess. I don't know. I feel like you're stretching a bit here. I think considering how long ago this movie went into production, they kind of just got lucky. <laughs> Basically, like... This isn't the Candyman remake. I can tell you that for sure. Another thing I can say for sure is, as a disappointing middle child, I gotta say, this makes us all look even worse. Back to you, Tanner. God. It's even funnier than 97th time. Anyway, yeah, Halloween Kills is like the most three stars ass movie ever. That scene Austin <laughs> talks about at the end with the mob kicking their asses, I think is just the pure embodiment of everything that's wrong with the movie. Michael Myers is about to die. He's done. He's finished. And then the 67-year-old man jumps up like he got those shoes from the movie Like Mike that gave him Michael Jordan's basketball abilities <laughs> and just starts slashing a dozen people. I, it's like, what's going... Again, Michael Myers is like 67 years old in the universe. The dude is old, but he's 
out here like a spring chicken, putting on, busting all these moves on these kids. Good God, what am I, a guy from the 70s? Jesus Christ. Anyway, <laughs> um, it's not a good sign when my favorite part of the movie and the thing I'm most excited about afterwards uh, was like the first 15 minutes when they do that flashback and they go back to the original era of the movie and, and, and the way the film looks with the warm tones and the film grain. I thought, wow, it's really cool they uh, broke out film cameras to shoot this. Psych! They shot that digitally and they managed to make it look like it was shot on 1978 film stock. That was an incredible accomplishment just on a technical level. Whoa. And, you know, just going back to that era was funny. It was fun. And my second uh, reason why I really liked that scene was because Jim Cummings, not the Winnie the Pooh voice actor, no, Jim Cummings, director of Thunder Road, my favorite movie of 2018 that he also started and wrote and produced. Probably my favorite indie filmmaker, someone I consider a huge inspiration. He has a little cameo as one of the cops in the scene. When the movie started, I thought, is that is that Jim Cummings? Is that Jim Cummings? <laughs> and then the opening credits happened and it said Jim Cummings. And I was like, no, wait, really? And then at the end of the movie, when they like flash back to that scene for a second, I went, oh, my God, that was the Jim Cummings. And I, that was really cool because Jim Cummings, like I said, is like one of my favorite creators, like favorite filmmakers right now. And uh, the thought that he's in something that's a pretty much a legit Hollywood production and that David Gordon Green probably knew him or someone in, in the higher levels of the thing knew him, that they wanted to bring him in, which to me means his name must be getting bigger in Hollywood Spears. He must be getting more clout. Maybe uh, maybe something like uh, Focus Features or A24 or Searchlight Pictures could approach him uh, and maybe help fund and produce his next movie so he could have like a big deal budget to work with and I, I think the fact that I'm going on this tangent shows uh, this movie is thoroughly meh when the most exciting thing I want to talk about is the idea that a director that has a cameo in the movie might go on to make a bigger movie with a bigger budget completely unrelated to this one I think that shows the kind of quality this movie has this is a three star movie through and through only because you know there's a lot wrong with it but I generally enjoyed myself so three stars bare minimum for like fun good movie that i would recommend there's a lot of flaws with this movie the community trauma themes are very poorly communicated there's a weird section in the middle middle where they do a mob violence on this innocent mentally ill patient which i don't know i understand what they were trying to say but since it's so poorly communicated it just kind of comes off as a little fucked up the cinematography the slickness from that first movie's gone a lot of the humor is oddly gone i laughed way less in this movie than i did in the last one the biggest problem is it just feels like a gigantic second act when the movie starts it doesn't feel like a first act. When the movie ends, it feels like the end of the second act. It felt like the movie ended at the whole hope is lost moment, which is traditionally your end of your second act. I thought, wow, what the hell? This is so weird. And then I looked into production of the movie and it all started to make sense. Hmm? When David Gordon Green and Danny McBride went to Blumhouse and John Carpenter with this idea to revive the Halloween franchise, they pitched a concept that was two movies, not three movies, two movies. Blumhouse went, okay, we'll give you one. We'll give you $10 million because these movies don't need a big budget. Make it feel like it could be a definitive ending for the franchise if it doesn't do well. But if it does well, we'll let you make another one. And then uh, Halloween proceeded to almost break the opening Recon record that was set by the first Venom movie a few weekends prior. It was such a gigantic success that when Blumhouse was like, okay, let's sign you on for more. He's like, they were like, we want two more. We don't want just another one. We want two more and I think that explains why because Halloween ends that's going to be a several year time jump 
from what I understand. So the fact that this movie feels like it takes place 10 minutes after the first one, hell, basically immediately after the first one, and is basically just like a couple hours in real time, and it doesn't feel like it continues anything. We're at the end of the movie. We're pretty much at the exact same place that we started. Nothing fundamentally changes. And the reason why is clearly because when they were like, we want two more movies, David Gordon Green and Danny McBride went, fuck, uh, shit, write something. So we got what we got, which is just, just generally an okay kill fest. And speaking of it being a kill fest, that brings us on to the next question here, which is if there's anything interesting and memorable about this movie to talk about, it is the kills of which there are plenty. There are 28 kills in this movie, the highest body count of any Halloween movie. What was your guys' favorite kills? Uh, Austin, uh, we'll start with you. Gonna play a magic trick with the audience. If you can remember any of the character names, think of it, think the character with your favorite kill. And now, does that character's name start with a B? Gotcha. My favorite is probably Big John because he gets this weird kind of like stabbed in the elbow and then his eyes gouged out treatment, which reminded me of like how Del Toro does violence where it's just people getting hurt in unexpected places that are uncomfortable to watch. That was definitely like a solid kill out of a movie that was mostly just, again, head trauma and stuff. Another kill that stands out a lot is I think there's someone who's made to shoot themselves in the face. Do either of you remember that? Yes, uh, that shit was funny. I think it's only the second time in the franchise that Michael Myers has technically killed someone with a gun. (laughs) Oh, really? Yeah, man doesn't like guns. He's Batman. He's a Democrat. He supports gun control. (laughs) Not murder control, gun control. He wants it to be a challenge. Tim Alucard, what did you think of the kills? What was your favorite kill? Any specific one you want to mention? Any of the memorable kills? Kills, favorite, go. Um, I, I enjoyed the kills quite a bit in uh, this movie. I, I think one of the ones that's probably the most memorable is like just the fucking knife through the eye one. Oh. Um, that, that was those rough. And then just like the scene of Michael just grabbing all of the kitchen knives and just repeatedly stabbing them into the dude's chest. That was just kind of hilarious. And then there was, like, the one girl's boyfriend, he just got fucking massacred through those uh, rails. That, <laughs> that, was, that was just, like, a long, brutal kill. Yeah. Uh, so, some, something I wanted to mention was, like, when, when Judy Greer's character comes in and, uh, like, she stabs him in the back with the pitchfork and then she gets him on the stairs and then she curb stomps him once. Curb stomps once. That's that's not how that works. Uh, you, you you gotta you gotta just uh, keep doing it until you start hearing swishing noises, and then you keep doing it some more. That was a quarter measure when she t- should have taken a fall. Then like just uh, at the end, seeing him massacring all of the mob people, um, which was it's definitely like goofy, but like it's Michael Myers, so I mean it is what it is. I thought what was really kind of neat about that was the way that the camera showed the close-ups of his face and his eyes are just completely black. It's just like, it shows shows him as this just void of darkness. I thought that that was a neat touch. And then, uh, like, at the very end, uh, when Michael kills Judy Greer's character, that that one kind of caught me off guard a little bit. I wasn't expecting, like, an actual character to get killed. Overall, I think that that was a really interesting part of the movie. It was, it was fun to see the kills. 
Uh, you know how, like, people reference the fight scene from Old Boy in the hallway, how that's a good example of, like, a realistic way people would fight? Because there are so many examples in film of, like, crowd fight scenes where people are just, like, standing around doing nothing, waiting to take their turn at the guy, at the protagonist. This is sort of like, like the example of people standing around to fight the protagonist <laughs> with them fighting Michael at the end, because they're just kicking his ass for a while there. And then it's just like, okay, now for one-on-one, everybody get ready for your close-up. We got we all gotta die here. Go team. God. Tim, I think it's interesting you bring up that final kill with Judy Greer's character. I was at first thinking I was gonna name that my favorite kill. But then I thought about it some more and I think, no. No, that's the worst kill in the movie. <laughs> and here's why. The way they shot, edited that scene was in direct parallel to, I believe, the first kill in the- Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. The way that they cut away from a lot of the violence, it's in direct parallel to that because they were paying tribute to that. And uh, this is why I dislike that. Fuck you. Don't remind me of a much better movie while I'm watching this one. Uh, I've uh, soured on the movie a little bit over the course of uh, these uh, 327 recordings we've done. Uh, mostly because I realized when I wrote this question down, I figured that's going to be an easy answer. Uh, you know, it's just like, oh, your favorite kill. It's like, what's your favorite character? It's like the go to easy answer. But I'm thinking about it right now. Honestly, not a lot of the kills are super memorable to me. There's more moments I find memorable rather than kills. The part where Michael Myers shows up with that kid's bloody mask. Yeah. I thought, oh, shit, that's pretty messed up. I was into that. I guess other than that, uh, Jim Cummings' death uh, was uh, interesting uh, because that one led to police commentary. A cab, baby. A cab. We're bringing it back. I don't know. The cop shot other cop, but was accident maybe? I don't know. That was actually kind of confusing. Is this movie trying to have cop commentary? Hold on a minute. Well, I might be tapping into something here. No, wait a second, because mob violence is bad because it gets disabled people killed. You can't have mob violence, and so BLM is... Hmm? What? Wait a fucking minute. What was this movie doing? This movie's a mess. What the fuck? Because it, because the cop, huh? Wait a fucking minute. What is this movie about? What if they just lied? What if they just said things that vaguely sounded related to the movie so they could fill up an interview and attract God. clicks and views? God, you're telling me people lie on the internet? I don't know. I still generally enjoyed it. I just don't have any strong desire to go back to it. Uh, I still like it more than half of the other Halloween movies, though, which, again, shows goes to show how many bad ones there are. There's a lot of stinkers out there, man. Resurrection. God damn, Resurrection's bad. The opening scene with the firefighters was kind of cool. I don't know. There's just not one, like, signature kill for me here. At least in Halloween 2018, I can point to the long take. And I think this also reminds me, the whole movie, I was thinking they're going to do another long take. Everyone talked about that long take from the first movie. It was such a big deal. It was huge. Everyone loved that scene. So they're going to do it again. It's probably not going to be as good, similar to how there was the Quicksilver scene in X-Men Days of Future Past and then the Quicksilver scene in X-Men Apocalypse, which was just kind of doing the same thing again. Yes. It's not quite as cool, but it was still cool to see it again. But they didn't do another fucking long take here. That felt like such a missed opportunity. Or maybe they did do a long take and I wasn't paying attention because the movie's kind of boring at times. I don't know. I, I still think... No. God, I'm talking myself out of this one in real time. <laughs> God. I don't know. It's a bit of a mess, but I had fun watching it. It's not good. Let's move on to the next one. Like I was telling you guys earlier, David Gordon Green pitched two movies, which makes me think the next one, Halloween Ends, is going to be the real second one he wanted to do. So this movie does not affect any excitement I might have had for that one. I'll get more in depth of that here in a second. But first, we're going to start with Tim. 
what are you expecting out of Halloween ends? The next one, are you excited for it? Think it's going to be good? What do you want to see? Et cetera, et cetera. Just that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, just going off of like the trajectory of these first two, I think it has potential to be pretty good. Um, like H2O was a really good reboot that was followed by a really fucking awful sequel that just fucking Rise of Skywalker, whatever good H2O uh, had to offer. But I mean, with this one, we had a pretty good first one. And then we had a second one that I had fun with. Uh, it didn't completely shit the bed like uh, Resurrections did. Um, so I, I do think that it's still like going somewhere. So I, I do I do look forward to whatever Halloween ends has in store. Um, hopefully, hopefully it'll be cool. And like you said, it kind of it sounds like it's probably going to be better structurally because uh that was in his original plans to uh, make that as a whole film yeah that's his vision all right mr zwiebelman elder man of the bomb squad legendary uh shaman am i allowed to say that is that offensive i don't know just like the gay couple (laughs) (laughs) austin are you excited for halloween ends at all what would you expect out of that Go. Kinda. Uh, it now that I know that it's set like four years in the future, so it can tackle real world issues in real time. Uh, I'm I'm kind of less excited for it. Also, oh God. this is just a me thing, but like. Uh, they built a fine enough, like, large-scale scenario with these first two movies. Like, there's a whole town in a frenzy trying to stop a dude who's apparently got super murder powers. Now, imagine it cutting forward. 2022. Michael was waiting for this. We put him in jail twice, and he's broken out again. It's the 44th anniversary of that night. It all ends here. Evil dies tonight. <laughs> it just sounds God. stupid. God, why the fuck did they say evil dies tonight like 30 billion times in this movie when it was a lie <laughs> i was i'm so convinced that if there is like a social dimension to this movie that was intentional that this may not be the team or the franchise that excels in contemporary subjects like that all stated there is one thing i'm excited for i'm waiting on bated breath to find out what the one-liner is when they kill michael because do you really think they can beat see you in hell it's going to be really hard to no, beat See You in Hell. I don't think they can beat that, which sucks. They wasted that line. That's so good. It's interesting that you bring that up, though, because if there's one bit of setup I can kind of see in this movie is that uh, I think if Michael Myers is to die, Laurie Strobe needs to die, too. I think they're going to kill each other at the same time in the next one to like put a final stamp on the franchise until they reboot it again in seven years. Um, because, uh, I don't know, maybe the climate crisis will kill us all before they reboot it again. Anyway, knowing that David Gordon Green had a specific vision in mind for this next one uh, makes me a bit more excited. I hope it'll actually just have structure instead of just being a gigantic second act. I think I'm excited to see what they'll do. But at the same time, it being a giant time jump, what what is going to happen? Michael wins at the end of this movie. He wins. So there's no scenario where he goes to jail. So what does he do for years? What does he do? Is he just staring at the window for three years straight until like someone walks in? Is that what's going to set up the next movie? Because that'd be really fucking funny. They decide not um, to bother him. It's just like leave him there. It's just, just like if we if you just leave him alone, he won't. It's like a bee. He's a fucking bee. Bee movie too. Someone call Jerry Seinfeld. 
I've cracked it, boys. I figured it out. They're going to cross over B-movie at Halloween. Uh, Yeah, I'm generally excited for the next one. It'll probably be better. It's time for... That's a Fall Out Boy song again. Tanner's Trivia Corner! Yay! Sponsored by Affleck. And we're back. We're not sponsored. We're not sponsored, but if you want to pay me. Anyway, it's time to get into the thing where uh, I generally gather these bits of information maybe an hour before the podcast, but I want them to be real fresh in my mind so my reactions to reading them are as authentic as they can be. Unlike Venom, let there be carnage. Uh, there is a lot, and I mean a lot, of trivia for this one. So it's kind of a good thing we powered through the questions here because it gives us plenty of time to maybe even talk about some of these things, which could be fun. Jamie Lee Curtis does not show up in this movie until 19 minutes in, which is uh, interesting because she might be in 19 minutes of this movie. Don't quote me on that. We talked a lot about how the flashbacks were probably our favorite parts of the movie. Does that sound right to everyone? It looked okay. It looked really good, but yeah, maybe. Tim, it's cool. Well, that's my favorite part. I will say that I do think that um, both of these movies, something that was really strong about them was they both had really strong cold opens. I remember in the 2018 one, it was just like all of these inmates just like screaming and it's just like this continuing intensification. And then it just... Close up with the mask. Yeah. (gasps) Then it just fucking blasts the music at you. I'm like, it's five minutes in. I already want to applaud. What's happening? Yeah, um, that I that was, I ascended. There was then, an inmate saying Figaro Figaro, which is a callback in this film because that exact opera comes on when the inmate is stealing the car. Yeah, and then this one had um, that uh, flashback thing, which is again another really strong cold open. So uh, I guess that that's something to look forward to with uh, the third one. Hopefully, that's cool as well. One of my favorite parts of the flashback was the appearance of Dr. Loomis, who looked straight out of 1978, uh, which is interesting because Donald Pleasance is dead and he's been dead for a while. So I was like, man, what kind of CGI did they use to bring him back or like archival footage? No, that was all prosthetics. Dr. Loomis was played by set constructor Tom Jones Jr., Uh, It helps that apparently Jones Jr., the second instructor, uh, bears an uncanny resemblance to Pleasance. Uh, And he's then later dubbed over by Colin McCann, who previously voiced the doctor in the 2018 movie during one of those like audio recordings. No VFX on the face. Holy shit. Austin. What if it was only a flashback movie and it was the many saints of Haddonfield? (laughs) Yes. The weekend this movie came out, the director said, yeah, we got an alternate ending. It'll be on the Blu-ray. There's an alternate ending where after Michael kills Karen, Lori calls her daughter on the cell phone. Michael picks up for some fucking reason. uh, (laughs) And he's just breathing on the receiver. And in turn, Lori grabs the knife and heads out to kill Michael. You can actually see this in the trailer. There's that shot of her walking in the hallway with the knife while you're saying, I'm coming for you, Michael. That's in the trailer. That was going to be the last shot of the movie. I thought you were going to say she stabs through the phone like Kung Fury and it gets him in the ear. I'm just saying, if if that happened in the movie, it would go from three stars to four stars immediately. Just a massive improvement. Um, Michael's just like, just, just kill him. Chill him. <laughs> I'm killing, bro. How about you? <laughs> He's just like, it's like a fucking scary movie. What's that? Yeah, yes, that, that was the joke I was making. It's finally revealed why Danny McBride's working on these things. The second is just parody. He's actually reviving the scary movie franchise. <laughs> 
God, just in time for five cream. They changed the ending because they didn't want to give people the impression that the next movie would pick up immediately because there's going to be a time jump. Oh, I get it. But also that still would have been a better ending than the one we got, which was just here's here's why. That would have at least felt like an ending. What we got here, it felt like it cut off 10 minutes beforehand. Mm -hmm. Uh, Probably because it did. When they were trying to get archival yearbook photos for some of the shots in that news broadcast, David Gordon Green, they were trying to find a yearbook of one of Michael Myers' victims from the 78 film. While they were doing that, he came across a yearbook photo of Bob Odenkirk that he actually thought resembled John uh, Michael Graham, the actor they were trying to get a yearbook photo of. The rights issues were resolved so they couldn't use that actor's photo, but they could use Odenkirk's photo instead. This is why Bob Odenkirk is credited in the movie as Bob, despite not playing anyone in the movie. I remember the first question I asked him, uh, Tim, coming out of the movie because we saw it together at the the half elephant screen or whatever the hell it was. I told him, Bob Odenkirk was in the credits. Did you see him anywhere? (laughs) Tim's like, no probably the best part of the movie. When Michael exits his childhood home at the end of the prologue and is surrounded by the police, the filmmakers replicate the high angle crane shot from the prologue of the original film. I know I just complained like 10 minutes ago about like, why are you reminding me of the much better movie? Uh, I kind of liked it here because that shot looked cool. That scene at the after the cold open with the firefighters coming out and everything. Fun fact for you, actual fighter fighters from the Cannon Air Force Base were used for that scene. Those are real firefighters, not actors. That's kind of cool. The escaped mental patient that the mom mistakes for Michael Myers, resulting in him uh, jumping to his death, it's the same actor who plays the Umbrella Man uh, in the opening scene of Halloween, one of those weird inmates with uh, with an umbrella. Yeah. Or Kylie Richards, who plays Lindsay Wallace in this movie. Uh, She broke her nose filming the fight scene with Michael. She didn't tell the crew about it until much later because she wanted to finish filming the scene. Uh, Speaking of Lindsay Wallace, she is now the only person other than Laurie Strode to encounter Michael and survive, at least in this new timeline. If you go back to four or five and six or whatever the fuck, I think there are others. But in this new timeline, it's only those two. Also, she is the only one to actually successfully hide from Michael Myers in the new canon. Shout out to her. When Michael traps Marion and the others in the car, he breaks the passenger side window in the same way he broke it when he originally attacked Marion in the original 78 film. If you look closely, you'll notice the performer in the Michael costume has a wrench strapped to his hand. This was the same poor man's budget filmmaking process they used to achieve the window shadow in the original. I just love that. 40 something odd years later and we're still just using a wrench. Great. Some things never change. God bless America. At the end of the movie, or beginning of the movie, slash end of the last one, Lori yells at the fire department to let it burn. This is based on a deleted scene from Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers, which was a flashback to the events of Halloween 2, with Dr. Loomis pleading with paramedics to let him burn after he blew up the operating room. The deep cuts. (laughs) (laughs) Deep cuts, yeah, here we go. Uh, According to Andy Machak, one of the producers on the movie, it was originally planned that Halloween Kills and Halloween Ends would be filmed back-to-back. This did not occur due to, quote, an intense schedule. And the last two bits are maybe my favorite. The filmmakers were originally planning to have 
Buster Rhymes appear in this movie, who originally appeared in Halloween Resurrection. He was this close to being included in the movie, but the idea was scrapped. I don't know why it was scrapped. I want to believe it was scheduling conflicts from Buster Rhymes, because I really want to believe they thought it was a good idea to put someone from arguably the worst Halloween movie into this movie. I think they should have done it just to piss him off. And finally... This is maybe the single greatest piece of trivia I have ever told you guys on the podcast. It might be the greatest piece of movie trivia of all time. Michael McDonald, the actor, is the only person to have been killed by Michael Myers and Mike Myers. (gasps) He dies in this movie. And also Michael McDonald is in Austin Powers, International Man of Mystery. He plays the Dr. Evil henchman that slowly gets flattened by a steamroller. No other actor in all of cinema history can claim to be killed by the actor Mike Myers and the character Michael Myers. I think this is a significant achievement of the biggest breakthrough in filmmaking since Citizen Kane. Let's fucking go. Yeah, baby. (laughs) All right. So, God, this is the worst podcast ever, but also the best podcast ever because it took us 666 tries to record it. Final thoughts on Halloween Kills. Austin, go. Uh, This was a slightly worse than average horror film with pretty solid production values. Uh, Whether or not I would recommend this, uh, my answer is back to you, Tanner. Uh, Yes, correct. Tim. It's so sad that evil died tonight of Ligma. (laughs) Who the hell is evil? Michael Myers. (laughs) Anyway, uh, yeah. Movie's fine, I guess. I I had a fun time watching it. It has a lot, a lot of problems. I'm probably never going to watch it again, except maybe to remind myself of something during Halloween ends. But also, with the way the franchise is going, I kind of have a feeling that I won't need to watch this to remind myself of anything. Because I think other than Judy Greer's character Karen dying, nothing else matters. But you know what does matter? You for watching slash listening to this podcast uh, hosted by me, Thor, the God of Thunder. Thank you also very much for listening to this podcast. Uh, if you're listening to this on any of the audio platforms we're on, please go ahead and leave a review. Helps boost us in the algorithm. If you are watching the fully fledged Soup to Nuts Austin Zubelman approved edition on YouTube, thank you also very much for uh, watching it. While you're down here, go ahead and go down to the comment section below. Tell us what you think. Uh, Did you like Halloween Kills? What do you think of Halloween 2018? And most importantly, is the gay couple offensive? (laughs) This is like a scientific study. I think we need to figure this one out, like, together as a community. Is the gay couple offensive? Comment below and let us know. While you're down there, hit the like button so we can know how much you like us. Hit the subscribe button so we can know how much you love us. And hit the bell icon so that evil can die tonight. Thank you again for watching. Make sure you tune in next week when we have a very special episode for you hosted by one Austin Zwiebelman. Austin, what are we talking about? We're talking about the Stanley Kubrick classic, one of the most controversial films of all time, A Clockwork Orange. Wait, what? I thought we were talking about... Shit, I thought we were talking about Happy Feet 2. You know, there are a lot of parallels between the films. (laughs) They both have Under Pressure by Queen and David. (laughs) Make sure you tune in next week. Thank you again, guys, for watching today. I'll see you next time. Evil dies tonight.